Without any further delay, I will now call on our second presenter, Mr. Jawal Simpson, who is also a law student at the University of Guyana. Jawal. Honorable members of the National Assembly, distinguished members of the panel, charming Madam Moderator, fellow colleagues of SASAD, Students Against Sexual Orientation Discrimination, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon to you all, and welcome to SASAD's forum with the members of the National Assembly on enshrining non-discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation as a fundamental human right in the Guyana Constitution. My objective this afternoon is to demonstrate that there is a global trend of articulating the rights of sexual minorities within the field of international human rights law and to explain the rationale for this growing movement. First, it is of paramount importance that I define the key terms in this presentation. The term sexual orientation refers to innate sexual attraction. By definition, the term sexual orientation does not only refer to same-sex or both-sex orientation. Therefore, a clause that prohibits discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation would also protect heterosexuals. It would then be inaccurate to infer that a clause only protects homosexuals, as some local religious leaders have done. Non-discrimination on this ground is a claim to an equal right available to all other people, and not a special right as some religious leaders have duped their followers into believing. For the purposes of, the, of my presentation, uh, it is assumed that, the citizens of a, that our citizens of a same-sex or both-sex orientation, specifically lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual Guyanese, are the, one that ne are the ones that need this constitutional protection, since they are perceived to be the numerical minority. The learned author, Carl Wellman, in his scholarly article, A New Conception of Human Rights, defines the term fundamental human right as a cluster of ethical liberties, claims, powers, and immunities that together constitute a system of ethical autonomy possessed by an individual as a human being vis-a-vis -vis the state. Basically, these rights are the claims that a citizen can legitimately make against the state. Article 4 of the Constitution of the Cooperative Republic of Guyana, Act 1980, defines what these fundamental rights are, and Articles 138 to 154 provide for the protection of these rights. Discrimination is defined by Article 149.2 of the Constitution of the Republic, Republic of Guyana, Act 1980, as affording different treatment to different persons attributable wholly or mainly to their respective descriptions, end of quote, and certain bases are listed, and it continues, whereby persons of one sub such description are subjected to disabilities or restrictions to which persons of another such description are not made subject, or are called privileges or advantages which are not afforded to persons of another such description. As we, may, as, we may, as we may all know, by Section 15, Subsection A of the Bill titled The Constitution Amendment No. 5, Act 2001, the constitutional definition of discrimination 
was expanded to include sexual orientation as one of the bases of discrimination. The bill was unanimously approved by the National Assembly with a 55 to 0 majority vote. The President did not assent to this bill and it is therefore not yet, not yet law since some religious sects were opposed to the amendment in section 15 subsection A. Under Article 175, as amended by Section 8 of the Constitution, Amendment Number 4, Act 2000, the President is required to assent to any bill which is returned by the National Assembly unaltered after a two-thirds majority within 90 days of its presentation to him. With this amendment, the President no longer has a final veto power over any Act of Parliament. The National Assembly is now the final legislative authority. The onus is on you then as members of parliament to adequately represent your constituents, including lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual Guyanese. Here after the Second World War with the Bill of Rights. Although the second half of the 20th century has been characterized as the age of human rights, there have been extraordinary silences. One such silence has been the entire discourse on human rights of sexual minorities, which finds no express mention in either in the International Bill of Rights or the Regional Human Rights Conventions. The silence is more extraordinary when one takes into account the fact that it was the horror of the Holocaust which triggered the development of international human rights law. Yet what is ignored is that thousands of homosexuals were persecuted by the Nazis and thousands of gay men died in concentration camps. Yet in the words of Indian legal scholar Arvind Narayan in his brilliant article Human Rights and Sexual Minorities, Global and Local Context, those who suffered and died are not worthy victims, which only goes to show the profoundly homophobic nature of modern society. It is only the greater visibility of lesbian, gay, and bisexual people worldwide and the mobilization which took place on the basis of a gay lesbian identity which has pushed sexual orientation onto the human rights agenda. In 1991, Amnesty International interpreted its mandate to consider persons arrested for a homosexual identity or for engaging in consensual homosexual identity in private as prisoners of conscience. According to the line, the interpretation of the organization's mandate, and I quote, when the word sex was taken to include sexual orientation, was not without immense internal struggle. The issue was passed in terms of a Western notion of human rights, which was a non-issue in non-Western societies, end of quote. The argument against lesbian, gay, and bisexual rights was that in societies where homosexuality is considered a physical ailment, or a reflection of socially deviant behavior, activities on behalf of such individual, individuals would be seen as not related to human rights and make amnesty look ridiculous. However, the International Council broke the silence in its resolution by, by instructing the International Executive Committee to draft guidelines regarding action on behalf of imprisoned homosexuals. James Willett, in his wide-ranging global survey titled International Human Rights Law and Sexual Orientation reveals that sexual minorities in the practice of states and civil society are often excluded from the protection afforded to all other people. Where it looks at the right to life, freedom from torture, freedom from arbitrary arrest, 
right, the right to asylum and the right to work. Though these freedoms are guaranteed by international law and very often by national laws to all people, he concludes when it comes to sexual minorities, these basic rights are violated with impunity, even in advanced industrialized countries with well-established gay, gay rights movements. To give some flavor of what Willard documents at length in his cross-cultural survey, I quote him. In Iran, Article 110 of the Islamic Penal Code provides that the punishment for sodomy is killing. Article 121 provides that punishment for taviz, rubbing of the thighs or the buttocks and the like committed by two men without entry shall be a hundred lashes for each of them. Article 129 provides that punishment for lesbianism is a hundred lashes for each party. And Article 131 provides that if an act of lesbianism is repeated three times, and punishment is enforced each time that that sentence will be issued for a fourth time. In Saudi Arabia, all homosexual acts are subject to the death penalty. In many parts of Latin America, though the law does not prescribe the death penalty, governments have been implicated in the extrajudicial killings or have taken a passive approach towards stopping the killing or apprehending the perpetrators. In Colombia, Right-wing death squads carry out killings of social undesirables, which include vagrants, petty criminals, children, and homosexuals. The Colombian human rights group, Grupo de Ambiste, has claimed that more than 300 gay men were killed between 1986 and 1990. In recent years, right-wing death squads have openly stated that homosexuals, along with left-wing politicians, drug users, and street children, are a scourge and need to be wiped out. In Peru, more of sexual minorities, particularly transvestites, have been carried out on a systematic basis by left-wing revolutionary organizations as part of their cleansing of undesirables since 1980. In Brazil, unidentified groups have killed more than 1,300 members of sexual minorities since 1980. According to one study, in 1997, on an average, one anti-gay Lesbian or transvestite killing occurred every three days in Brazil. Asylum was recently granted to a gay Brazilian man by the United States. The judge citing evidence that anti-gay groups appear to be prevalent in Brazilian society and continue to commit violence against homosexuals with little official investigation and few criminal charges being brought against their perpetrators. Argentina and Peru to have their documented cases of murder of gay men. End of quote. In our own country, Guyana, we read of incidents of violence perpetrated on sexual minorities from time to time. For instance, Sabbath News dated the 19th of August 2002 carried a report captioned, Army launches probe into alleged beating of homosexual. It was reported that a few soldiers accosted a group of homosexuals and demanded sexual favors from them. On refusal by these homosexuals, they were allegedly beaten. The, the, these homosexuals reported the incident to the headquarters, the army headquarters, and the response that the soldiers gave, gave was that they were trying to re remove the homosexual man's camouflage three-quarter pants. In his letter to the editor of Stabat News, Mr. Kabir Bavikat raised a few illuminating questions regarding the soldier's response. Was it because the victim was homosexual that made him more vulnerable to such wanton abuse of power, manifested by demands to remove his pants in public 
rather than being granted a common courtesy of privacy? Would such a demand be made of a more privileged member of the citizenry? Does it mark the emergence of a new administrative directive of public stripping of anyone wearing army pants? Or is it that only homosexuals who are subject, subjected to this kind of humiliating treatment? Or does it imply that groups that are denied social and legal legitimacy are also denied equal protection of the laws? Willard blames the state for the violation of the rights of sexual minorities because it plays, and I quote him, a positive role in encouraging violence by its passivity and in promulgating laws criminalizing or, dis or discriminating against sexual minorities, end of quote. As Nicholas Tunan put it in his path-breaking complaint to, to the Human Rights Committee, the anti-sodomy laws chilled the expression of his sexuality and created the conditions for discrimination through constant stigmatization, vilification, threats of physical violence, and a violation of basic democratic rights. In effect, the state acts as an ideological instrument which legitimizes violence against sexual minorities. The oppression of sexual minorities, like the oppression of women, has been identified as a global phenomenon. Although the law has been used as an instrument of oppression of the rights of sexual minorities due to its extraordinary silences, that does not mean that the field of law has been vacated with there being no space for resistance. In the words of the learned author, Michel Foucault, in his valued publication, The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, I quote, Discourses are not once and for all subservient to power or raised up against it any more than silences are. We must make allowance for the complex and unstable pro process wherein discourse can be both an instrument and effect of power, but also a hindrance, a stumbling block, a point of resistance, and a starting point for an opposing strategy, end of quote. The reason why resistance can be conceptualized as, glo as global is not only because resistance to power occurs in every part of the world where there is power, but also because today the resistances are being increasingly networked. Human rights discourse means that the violation of the rights of sexual minorities in any part of the world is a legitimate concern of every human being. The progressive internationalization of the rights of sexual minorities has been achieved through the use of quasi-judicial bodies and the use of international law for the purpose of advocacy of the rights of sexual minorities. The use of quasi-judicial procedure on the Human Rights Committee in Tunan and Australia was really the first time that sexual minorities' rights were internationalized. In this case, Nicholas Tunan, a gay rights activist resident in the Australian state of Tasmania, challenged the anti-sodomy law as violative of Articles 2, Subsection 1, Articles, Article 17, and Article 26 of the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights. Article 2.1 provides that each state party will ensure to all individuals the rights recognized in the present covenant without distinction of any kind, such as sex, po sex, political or other opinion, or other status. Article 17 provides that no one shall be subject to arbitrary and lawful interference of his privacy. Article 26 provides that all, all parties are equal before the law are entitled without any discrimination to the equal protection of the law. The Human Rights Committee held that the anti-sodomy statute did violate Tunan's right to privacy guaranteed under Article 17, 
The committee also held that the reference to the word sex in Article 2, Subsection 1 and Article 26 is to be taken as including sexual orientation. It held that Article 2, 1, 2, Subsection 1 was violated but did not rule on if Article 26, the non-discrimination clause, was violated. The decision at the level of materiality had the effects of forcing Tasmania to repeal the anti-sodomy law. At the level of academia, it opened up the sexual orientation as part of human rights language. The rhetoric of rights became a new tool through which one could articulate the complex feelings, emotions, and desires associated with homosexuality in a language which had to be listened to. At the level of law, it opened up the use of the right to privacy to question the validity of anti-sodomy statutes. It put forward a possibility of interpreting sex to include sexual orientation in anti-discrimination clauses. One of the most crucial changes in national jurisdiction that has international implications is the adoption of the new Constitution of South Africa on December 10, 1996. South Africa is the first country in the world to expressly include sexual orientation as a prohibited ground of discrimination, its non-discrimination clause. The Constitution also allows for affirmative action measures to achieve equality. The position of human rights of sexual minorities is further strengthened due to the provision in the South African Constitution which provides that international law must be considered in the interpretation of the Bill of Rights. The Constitution also provides that foreign case law may also be considered. This means that progressive decisions in our jurisdictions, like Tunin and Australia, become instrumental in interpreting the South African Constitution. These changes in South Africa have global implications. For the first time, it is a developing country which has taken the lead with respect to the rights of sexual minorities. This obviously means that it becomes more difficult to dismiss the rights of sexual minorities as a Western concern. The South Africa Constitution also shows that it was a product of the struggles of black, socialist, lesbian, and lesbian and gay people. And when the time came to make a new beginning, an attempt was made to include all minorities. Due to the courage of those who were in the anti-apartheid movement and still identify themselves on the basis of a gay lesbian identity, South Africa had the first democratic revolution in which gay and lesbian people were taken to be equal citizens with the heterosexual compatriots. According to the Indian legal scholar Arvind Narayan, in the context of Africa, which has the least number of organized gay rights movements worldwide, the South African example will provide a normative vision to aid similar struggles worldwide. Our neighbor to the South, Brazil, has sponsored a resolution calling for guarantees to protect lesbians, gays, bisexuals, and transsexuals at the United Nations Commission on Human Rights in April of this year. The draft resolution tabled by Brazil and co-sponsored by 19 European nations warns the 53-member United Nations Commission that an underlying factor of many human rights violations committed around the world is intolerance of the sexual orientation of the victims. Brazil's draft resolution expresses, and I quote, deep concern at the occurrence of violations of human rights in the world against persons on the grounds of their sexual orientation. End of quote. The text calls, and I quote again, upon all states to promote and protect the human rights of all persons regardless of their sexual orientation. And end of quote. And states that the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights must pay due attention to the phenomenon 
of violation of human rights on the grounds of sexual orientation. The, G G the Geneva-based com Commission has, however, put out debate on the text until next year. Brazil's diplomatic team has maintained a consistent stance on the issue for several years, according to Luis Felipe de Siax Correra, Brazilia's representative at Geneva. He noted that his country had presented a homosexual rights initiative at the World Conference Against Racism held in 2001 in South Africa. CX's Correa criticized the commission, saying that the United Nations body was created to erase taboos, not to maintain them. He said that Brazil's foreign ministry would keep a pressure to ensure that the resolution passes next year. According to Canadian jurist Douglas Sanders, the rights of homosexual, bisexual, transsexual men and women have never been officially recognized by the United Nations, despite the fact that international laws and issues began to emerge at the close of the Second World War. According to an in Amnesty International communique, adoption of the resolution is the only way to end intolerable exclusion of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people from the full protection of the United Nations system. In conclusion, I'd like to say that the history of global oppressions faced by sexual minorities provides a more than adequate rationale for enshrining the right of non-discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation again, a constitution. It is immaterial whether this form of discrimination is prevalent or not in Guyana. Even if there are a few isolated cases, the fact still remains that discrimination causes human suffering. And the state is under duty to take positive steps to alleviate the suffering of its citizens. Therefore, as members of the National Assembly, the onus is on you to make this progressive constitutional amendment for the protection of all Guyanese. I close with the words of Ms. Coretta Scott King, widow of Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. These remarks were made at the opening plenary session of the 13th Annual Creating Change Conference organized by the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force in Atlanta, Georgia, United States of America. She stated that, and I quote, freedom from discrimination based on sexual orientation is surely a fundamental human right in any great democracy, as much as freedom from racial, religious, gender, or ethnic discrimination. She continued, I appeal to everyone who believes in Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream to make room at the table of brotherhood and sisterhood for lesbian and gay people. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joel. And now 